from the book of First Kings. Because you have asked for wisdom and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, I now do according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. We are uh, nearing the end of our summer-long sermon series on the life of David. Um, as in our text for today, David has actually died, and uh, now his fifth son, Solomon, sits on the throne. And uh, like most events in the latter part of David's life, the transition was not smooth. You know, when David was getting old, and his fourth son, the older brother of Solomon, Adonijah, decided that he was going to be king of his own volition. He said, you know, I'm going to be king. I'm next up. This is the way this is going to work. And so when he announced that, Nathan, the prophet in Bathsheba, rushed to David. And they said, you know, you promised Solomon the throne. You said Solomon's going to be king. And so they rushed, they rushed Solomon to the throne. Solomon was anointed king. And Adonijah said, whoops, my mistake. Let me back out. But then, but then, Adonijah tried to secretly assert authority. Solomon, being ever wise, saw what he was up to, had him and all the other co-conspirators taken out. Y'all follow me so far? Another son gone. And it was Solomon's insight and wisdom that allowed him to see these things play out. You know, Solomon was not easy to fool. Because if David was a man after God's own heart, well then Solomon in many ways embodied the wisdom of God. In fact, our text says that there was no one as wise or discerning as Solomon, either before him or after him. Well, we're going to look this morning at this idea of wisdom, and I want to ask you, what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be wise? Well, three points for this morning we're going to look at from our text. We're going to look at point one, the source of wisdom. Point two, the acquisition of wisdom, and point three, the benefit of wisdom. You all follow me in that? Source of wisdom, how we get it, and what's the benefit? So point one, the source of wisdom. Well, as I was studying this text this week, there, you know, I was uh, you know, in the shower getting ready, and I just kept having all these proverbs that kept popping into my head out of nowhere. I'm thinking about wisdom, and you know all these proverbs, right? Don't count your chickens, what? Before they had, right? Yeah, obviously. Um, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Don't put the cart before the... Now, how, who's been on a farm, right? Who's actually done all of these things? Who's agrarian in here? Not many of us. You know, but all these Proverbs of Wisdom, they sit with you and they make you think. And what do you think makes these Proverbs wise? Other than the whole, you know, folksy sort of angle. Well, they're wise because they correspond with reality. They correspond with, catch this, competence regarding reality. Competence regarding reality, how you handle yourself when you run into the realities of life. That's wisdom. For example, you've all been in this situation. You're driving a car on US-1. You're in a hurry. But you notice three cars ahead of you, there's brake lights. What do you do? What do you do? Well, 
You can just charge on ahead, right? You can bank on quantum mechanics that your molecules will go straight through their molecules because of all that empty air and you'll pass right on through. There's a chance, not big, there's a chance. Or you can just bank that every single car in front of you is going to miraculously turn out of your lane at the last second and you can just keep cranking, right? Is that wisdom? You know, the odds are if you don't apply your brakes, you will run smack into the car in front of you, and you will smack into the realities of life. Reality will not move for you. You see, wisdom is competence regarding life's realities, and that might seem simple enough. But I want you to think for a second, if I were to ask you at coffee hour, how many people you find to be truly wise? That's what? Enough people to fit on one hand, maybe? Who in your life do you consider to be truly wise? wise, who have the qualities of discerning both what is true and what is right? What is true and what is right? Let's break those down a little bit further. What is true? What is true? Philosophy majors, I know that this is your bread and butter, okay? But I'm going to keep things really simple today. For something to be true, it has to correspond with an objective reality, right? It has to be like this, right? Objective reality, regardless of our ability to perceive that reality. And it sounds simple enough, but we actually have a really hard time with this one. We have a hard time knowing what is true. Take communication with our spouses, for example, right? Did any, but has anybody ever misread something their spouse said? How many times have you reacted negatively to something that your spouse didn't, only didn't say but didn't even intend, right? Like, your wife, your, say, okay, good fellows, your wife says, honey, I'd like you to wash the dishes tonight. And your response is, oh, so what? I'm just neglecting you and incapable of meeting your needs? I'm just what? Some domineering tyrant for, you know, assuming that you're going to do all the housework while I just do whatever I want? It's like, whoa. I'm, I'm just asking you, can you, can you wash the dishes? Now, that's a break from reality, right? By the way, this is not a real conversation, all right? This did not happen in my household. Don't start, you know, we're fine. Amy and I are fine. Um, but, you know, responding to something that your wife didn't say, that's a break from reality. It's unwise. If you're wise, the wise husband either knows reality, right? Knows his wife well enough to know what she meant, or the wise husband is patient enough to seek the reality of the situation before reacting. The really wise husband has probably already done the dishes, right? <laughs> now, this matters to us culturally. This matters to our cultural moment. This is, this is a real thing that we face. Because there's this, there's this pernicious postmodern idea that because there is no objective truth, no reality, we can just subject reality to our personal points of view and say that it's real. We try to make up reality from the, on the spot, from our own point of view. My perception is reality. Now, you may not have meant, this happens in conversation too, um, you can look into a standpoint epistemology, which means the truth is whatever I see from my perspective. You may not have meant what I thought you meant, but that doesn't even matter because of how I received it, and therefore that is what is true. All reality is subjective. The world is mine for the making. And that can work just fine. 
so long as you can make everyone else buy into your view and accept your version. Otherwise, it's not a great idea. You know, I mentioned that Adonijah was the king, the pretender to the throne, right? He tried to construct his own reality that he was going to be king. But he didn't have the power to force everyone else to bow to that. It wasn't God's will. He wasn't anointed by a priest. He wasn't chosen by David. And it fell apart on him. It cost you. Well, if you and I don't construct reality, if we aren't the ones who decide what is real and what is false, who does? Who does? God. You know, God is the creator. God is the author of reality. He's the one that fashioned all things that exist and brought them into being. And as the creator, the one who built everything, the one who decides what is real and what is true, he is the one that set the rules for how the world is governed. You know, all of us think that we're all little gods, right? We're all our own, we're all our own sons, and the whole solar system revolves around us, right? But that's not the way things are set up, is it? Who's central? Who ties everything, everything together? Who keeps everything spinning? It's not you or I. You know, which brings us to our second aspect of wisdom. Wisdom not only understands what's true, what's real, but wisdom also understands what is right, what is good, what is moral, the correct course of action. Let's go back to that driving example. Y'all follow me so far? Let's go back to this driving example, right? Going down US 1, we're trucking along. But we're not in a car, we're in a tank. And we see brake light three cars ahead. Now, if we don't slow down, does that matter to us? Are we going to keep cruising right on through? But is it right? Is it moral? Is it good? Well, no, right? Not without consequences. And you know, if we're bad sometimes at discerning what is true, we're also really bad at discerning what is right, at what the good, proper course of action is. You know, here's one. Take the career-oriented, 100-hour-a-week, uh, achievement-driven parent spending, you know, all of that time at the office, for example. Is it true that additional time devoted to work will likely lead to greater income and greater possibilities for your future? Is that true? Is that a fact, objective reality? Yes. But is that the best objective to be aiming for? Or is time and attention to family a better aim? See, something can be true but not right, and we can discern that. Morals have everything to do with what you're aiming at and how you go about achieving it. What are you aiming at and what are you doing to achieve it? That's what is right. And if God has wired us for a relationship, is it wise to neglect that? Or here's another one. Ready? Say you are a family person, you love your family, and you want every minute devoted to them. And so Sunday mornings is a great chunk of time when you're not at work, your spouse is not at work, and you can spend time with your kids. Is it right to put your family as the uppermost in your affections, or is there somebody who, has, who deserves the top spot? Which one? What do you think? I'm a priest. You know the answer. You know what I'm going to say. It's God. Right? God. Wisdom is not only discerning what is true, but what is right. And God is the source of wisdom. He is the source of what is true and what is right. Scripture is the source of what is true and what is right, right? There are plenty of questions in life that you don't have to ask. All you have to do is open the Bible and, and, and read about it, right? 
I don't have to pray, God, is it right for me to, um, you know, steal money from my friends? It's not even a question, is it? God is the source of what is true. He is the source of what is right. And Solomon, if you look back at our text and his pursuit of wisdom, where did he go? He went straight to the source. He asked God. Which brings us to our second point, the acquisition of wisdom. Let's look back at our text. Solomon has become king. He goes to worship the Lord on a mountain. He has a vision, and God says, and this is the only time this happens in Scripture, you can have anything that you want. You can have anything that you want. What would you ask for? Think about it. God comes to you and says, you can have anything that you want. Pick something. What would you ask for? Well, Solomon asked for wisdom. And this is what, this is in fact, I want you to listen to exactly how he asks for wisdom. The acquisition of wisdom. How does Solomon ask for wisdom? You can look back and read in your bulletin, or I'm going to read parts of it to you. Listen to the way Solomon asks. He approaches God and he says, you have made your servant king. So he gives God credit, right? First off the bat, you've made me king. And then he says, although I am only a little child, and I don't know how to go out and come in, meaning he doesn't know how to lead. And then he goes on and he says, look at how great the task that is before me, and I am not fit for this responsibility. What's the line that cuts through all of those? God, you put me in this position I don't even know how to lead. Look at the task before me. What cuts through all of those? Humility. Solomon asked God for wisdom from a position of humility. You know, you have to be willing to be the novice before you can become the master. You have to be willing to look like a fool before you can become the master of anything. You have to be willing to humble yourself to be open to receiving instruction before you can gain wisdom. Uh, when I was in college, I got a summer job in construction as a machine operator. Does anybody know what that is? We get to drive all the big Tonka toys is what, is what we got to do. And uh, I got thrown onto the construction site, and uh, my boss comes to me, and he said, my foreman comes to me, and he says, you know how to drive one of these things? Well, I'm 19, a lot of self-confidence, a lot of bravado, don't want to look like a fool. How hard can it be, right? Hands me the key, says, go get up on that machine. I'll come check in with you in a few hours. Well, a few hours later, I was in Quest Diagnostics taking a uh, corporate-mandated drug test because I had managed to run into the only water truck on the entire drive site and total it. Not very wise. I didn't ask for instruction. I didn't humble myself. Right? I didn't humble myself and seek wisdom or guidance. It's not ideal. See, when we approach God, either in prayer or in worship or in Scripture, we have got to retain a position of humility if we're going to gain any wisdom at all, any insight, any understanding into the way that he has structured the world and how we are to act in it. When you read the Bible, you can't just pick and choose what you already agree with. Otherwise, you might as well write your own. You have to humble yourself to the authority of Scripture. When you pray, you need to seek more than God just confirming what you've already decided to do anyway. Has anybody ever done this? God, give me an answer of what I should do. But you know what you're doing. You've already made your plan. You've already set it into motion. That's not approaching God from a sense of humility, and that's not wisdom. That's not how we acquire wisdom. Instead, like Solomon, we need to acknowledge that God has given us everything we have, 
that we're probably not as great as we think we are, and that the life that God has called us to is greater than our ability to achieve it. You know, in our psalm for today, we heard the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is, recognize where God is and where you are and the great chasm that is between you. And seek Him as the source of direction. You know, it's not a coincidence that arrogance and foolishness often go hand in hand. You know anybody like that? Arrogance and foolishness go hand in hand. There's an unwillingness there to submit to God's authority, which brings us to our final point, the benefit of wisdom. So now we know what wisdom is, right? It's knowing what is true and what is right according to what God has decided. We acquire wisdom through humility, through humbling ourselves before the Lord. But what's the benefit? What's in it for us? What's the pursuit of wisdom about? Why is it important to be wise? Well, as I mentioned before, wisdom is competence regarding reality, It is discerning what is true and right. And a truly wise person seeks God above all else, right? Solomon sought God first, right? He came before the Lord and he said, Lord, you know, wisdom, I mean, riches are fine. You know, honor is fine. All these things are fine. But what I really want from you is I want wisdom. I want your presence. I want your guidance. And because Solomon sought God first, guess what was added to him? God said, you sought me first. Right? Right? Wisdom is the presence of God. Jesus is the personification of wisdom, that relationship with God. Seek God first and everything will be added to you, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And everything was added to him. You know, right after this passage, Solomon made a profound judgment. You ever hear the split the baby case? Profound judgment. And after the whole countryside heard of that, his honor was, and acclaim was raised. And then he did something miraculous. He made an efficient bureaucracy. That's pretty incredible. Um, But he did that. That was his next move as a wise man. And it added riches to the entire kingdom. So he got his wealth. He got his acclaim. You know, and it's possible for you and for me that if we act according to God's wisdom, the same thing may happen to us. If you are just and you are honest, and you work hard, and you share generously, it's possible, right, likely even, that you will experience these blessings. But it's not guaranteed. The world is a fallen and broken place, and it is possible to do the right thing and come up empty. You know, Proverbs are a book of guidance, not promises. The real benefit of wisdom and of seeking wisdom, is if you're seeking wisdom, you are seeking the presence of the Lord, and you are seeking to walk with him in all that you do. And if you are walking with the Lord, you know that nothing that you accomplish in his name and for his sake will ever go to waste or be forgotten. Riches disappear, right? Your name will be wiped out from, the memory, from earth's memory. It will. But if you walk with God and you seek things according to his purpose, and you seek the things of God that he desires for you, those things are eternal. They last forever. The fruit of that work will never be wiped out. So I would encourage us, like Solomon, let us humble ourselves before the Lord, seek wisdom, and seek to draw into his presence. 
Let us live a life of meaning. Let us find our purpose in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would increase in our hearts a desire for wisdom and a desire for you. I pray that rather, even than seeking the particular things of this world, the things that we think we want, the things that we think we need, that we would seek you in your fullness and that we would allow you to guide us and shape us and teach us what it is that you would have us do and who it is that you would have us be. In all things, let us seek you for wisdom, trusting that you will bring your purposes for us and for your creation to its perfect end. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.